This is a psalm, uh, friends, <clears throat> that has encouraged and challenged people for two and a half, three thousand years. And uh, let's pray that it will encourage and challenge us this morning. Pray with me. Our loving Father, we do give you thanks that you have left your word for us, that it, that it applies to every situation that we find ourselves in. And we pray that this morning you will speak to us according to our individual needs from your word and that we will be encouraged and move forward with you in the strength that the Lord Jesus supplies. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. As I said, it's encouraged people for many, many hundreds of years and it is indeed a psalm for our time, I believe, because it's a, it's a psalm of chaos and calm. A psalm of fear and confidence. It's a psalm for when you're in a tight spot, when you're between a rock and a hard place. It's a psalm that prepares us for when those times fall on us. And it offers us the choice. Fear or faith? Chaos or confidence? How will we live out the rest of our lives? So what do people fear these days? There have been numbers of people who have surveyed people to find out what they fear. COVID anxiety, vaccine anxiety, top fear, fear of spiders. Second, fear of snakes. For 20% of our population, their greatest fear, tells you the world we live in, their greatest fear is that their phone will run out of battery. <laughs> And their second greatest fear, that they won't get any likes on social media. But more seriously, there is the fear of the future. Fear of wars getting out of control. Fear of robots getting out of control. Fear of environmental disaster, so forth. And then there, of course, there are the unpredictable, unavoidable disasters that are going to fall on us. We see them on our TV the whole side of a mountain collapsing and engulfing, engulfing villages and their inhabitants in a mudslide. Or a tsunami swallowing thousands of people as we saw in 2004. The words of this psalm are real today. It's a psalm, however, of confidence in an all-powerful God. Chaos and anxiety, fear and yet confidence. And that's the world we live in. And it's always been like that. But here's the answer in this psalm. Now if you look at it, in the first three, three verses, we read about God's power over nature. Then in verses 4 to 7, we read about God's power over nations and enemies. And then in verses 8 to 11, we read of his power over the whole world. It begins with God our shelter and it ends with God as our impregnable, unassailable fortress. That's what the words mean here. Three sections and the division between them indicated by that word, Selah. We don't know who wrote this psalm or when it was written, but clearly it was written at a time of disaster and deliverance, a time of fear and faith and then salvation 
Maybe, maybe David wrote it. We don't know. Maybe David wrote it after the armies of Saul were finally defeated and God installed David according to his promises as king over Israel. Maybe that was the occasion. Maybe it was written after the miraculous delivery of Jerusalem from the combined forces of the Moabites and the Ammonites uh, in the days of King Jehoshaphat, about 150 years after David. Or maybe it was written when Jerusalem was again miraculously delivered from the assault of the Assyrians in the rule of King Hezekiah another 150 years later. We don't know. But it's a psalm that reminds us who is in control of all the disasters that we fear. And so it begins in verse 1 with that great statement of trust in God, obviously born of experience. When you find yourself in a tight spot between a rock and a hard place, that's what it means when it says in trouble, you can run to God and he will shelter you. And this is not something that occurs occasionally in people's minds. It was well known because it's there in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs uh, uh, chapter 18, we read, The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. It's a great verse to have in your mind. There it is in verse 2 of our psalm. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. And we've seen that. We've seen that on TV. The earthquake splits the land and swallows whole buildings. The volcano rises up out of the sea and splits and spills its lava into the sea and the waters of a tsunami roar and foam as they encroach upon the land. Real disasters that have happened on earth since the beginning of time. And obviously this writer knows about it too. Chaos in the creation. But then there's calm. The earth is chaotic but when you leave the TV... And you go for a walk in the bush, in the country, beside a little creek, beside a great river, there you find peace. There could not be a greater contrast. But that's our world, beautiful and bestial. The accurate reflection of a perfect creation full of beauty and wonder, spoiled by greed and hatred and lust for power. For the disaster is not just natural disaster, but it's the disaster of wickedness in people as well. It's there in verse 6. You see, nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. These words are in uproar are the same as the word roaring in verse 3. The sea roars, the natural creation is in chaos, the nations roar or are in uproar and the driving force of evil is in the natural world, it's in the nations, it's in the heart of the individual and it's the same, it's destructive and it gives rise to fear. But our writer says... We don't fear. Verse 4, why not? 
we don't fear because there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. There it is, the picture of the quietly flowing river, the image of peace and provision. And there's the city of God, nothing like the chaotic cities of this world. There is the place where God rules, unlike the world where Satan rules. That picture of a river would have been so helpful to the people who heard the singers in the temple singing this psalm, for that's what was meant to be done with it. You see the heading says it's a song. It's to be sung in the temple worship. I guess they would have been reminded as they heard those words about the river of God and the city of God, they would have been reminded perhaps of Psalm 1. Two weeks ago we heard that here, Psalm 1. You remember that? The blessed person lives near a stream of living water, drawing life and strength from the Spirit of God through his word. Or maybe Psalm 23, which, in which David, God spoke to King David and uh, led him beside peaceful waters and restored his inmost being. Or Isaiah 58:11, where God promises those people who trust in him you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. And as we look forward to the future, the book of Revelation, right at the very end, gives us a picture of the new Jerusalem, the kingdom of God and of Christ, and we read that there is the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. And what does it mean? Well, we're told it means that no longer will there be any curse, no more chaos. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads. It's a picture of the restitution of all things. And yet there's more. Remember the words of our Lord? The promise that if we commit ourselves to him, he will give us his spirit to transform our lives. He said this, the water that I shall give you will be in you a well of water springing up to everlasting life. But for the inhabitants of Jerusalem who sang this psalm, there was a meaning even closer to home. For their city had often been attacked and This psalm recognises that. Attacked and delivered. And on at least one occasion they totally ran out of food during the siege. But you know what? They never ran out of water. And they never ran out of water because at the foot of the mountain on which that city was built, there was a spring. And from the spring, years before, someone had cut a channel under the city. And they dug a shaft down to that channel and were able to draw water up from that spring from within the city. There is a city whose streams make glad. There is a stream whose rivers make glad the city of God. It had a particular meaning for them. The the water that had been channeled was a stream that made glad the city of God. And here's the contrast 
the roaring of the waters without and the silently flowing river in the rock-cut channel beneath Zion, Jerusalem, the city of God. Contrasting the ferocity of the enemy with the secret purposes of God. Never forget that. When the world oppresses you, God's secret purposes are unfolding inexorably. And those purposes are for us, for his people, to bring us to his kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth. And then the city, the city of God in verse 4 again. In uh, Psalm 48, which is part of the three Psalms that form a trilogy here, 46, 47 and 48, in Psalm 48, this uh, city is called Zion. And to God's people, Zion, the city of God, is everything that is excellent. It is, for example, the place where God installed his king, King David, originally. When uh, when David took Jerusalem, finally, and God installed him as king, uh, it was Zion that he captured but it becomes symbolic of Jesus God's eternal king the king in God's eternal kingdom and Psalm 48 describes it in this way it is beautiful in its loftiness the joy of the whole earth like the heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion the city of the great king it's the place where God dwells the place where people meet God (coughs) Psalm 50 tells us from Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. In the New Testament, Jesus, Paul says that Jesus fulfills the prophecy that the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob, from God's people. But the writer to the Hebrew Christians in the New Testament takes it even further. This city of God, he says, You, meaning us, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. You have come to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect. And you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. That's a wonderful vision of the city of God as it applies to us, where we belong. And that city always stands against the cities of this world. We are the inhabitants of that city, the place where God rules. Spiritually, we enter Zion when we come under God's grace. That great writer of hymns and preacher of the word, John Newton, many hundreds of years ago now, a man who wrote Amazing Grace, wrote a much better hymn than that, which began, Glorious things of you are spoken, Zion, city of our God. And the last verse says this, and it applies to us as a wonderful summary. Saviour, since of Zion's city I through grace a member am, Let the world deride or pity. I will glory in your name. Fading are the vain world's pleasures, all their boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasures, none but Zion's children 
no. It's a wonderful confidence. And there it is in verse 7. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Let me briefly break that down in three parts for you. The Lord Almighty, he's the one who protects us. He is Jehovah, Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of armies literally means. The one who controls all the forces in the world. He's the one who stands behind Jesus' words. Remember what Jesus said to them? Don't you think I can't call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels if I wanted to? He commands the armies of heaven, which we can't see, but from time to time have been revealed to God's people in desperate need. That's the first thing. He's Lord Almighty. And second from that that verse 7, he's the God of Jacob. And the point of that that is that Jacob was the man who was transformed by God into Israel and the man with whom God reaffirmed the promises that he had made to Abraham. He is the covenant God, the one who guarantees his plan for us, his perfect plan for our salvation, despite our failures and transgressions. For that was Jacob. Jacob was the failure. Israel was the success. And God promises us with all our failures that he has a plan for us and he will fulfill it he's our refuge he's our fortress he's an impregnable place against all our enemies and the third thing is it says the the lord almighty is with us he's the god who is with us and that reminds us surely of the coming of jesus of the promise that he will be with us because what is jesus name emmanuel God with us. Nothing has changed that. Remember his promise at the end of his life. Look, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now come to verse 8 and we have God's power in creation. See him as the only one who can bring wars to an end for certainly the efforts of men and women are fruitless in bringing wars to to an end as we see in our own day there's only one who will ever bring about peace and that is the one who is called the prince of peace the one who was called in the old prophecy wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace the child who comes to us at christmas dies for us at easter and now reigns at the right hand of his father until all his enemies are put under his feet so that he can hand over the kingdom to his father. And hence the final verses of our psalm. What a contrast. Verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Be still. Let go. Relax. Quiet. Or as he commanded on the lake in the midst of that fearful storm that threatened to drown all his followers in the boat, peace. Be still. And the wind and the waves became completely calm. Do you remember the reaction of the disciples on that occasion? They were awestruck. 
of course. But they asked themselves, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And the answer is in this psalm. He says, I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Do you long for that to be a reality? Remember, it's supposed to be a reality in our lives, in our individual lives now. Jesus encourages us, in the world you will have trouble. But cheer up, I have overcome the world, he says. One day, that will be true in all the earth, as we read in this psalm. And until that day, we go forward in faith and in his strength with these great promises behind us and before us. And we pray, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I don't want to conclude by praying this morning. I want to conclude, if you will, with all of you reading with me the words of that psalm. This is our great affirmation as Christians as we go forward. Will you read with me, if you've got it in front of me, in front of you, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Well, next time you can sing it all together.